0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, our reading today is John chapter one, verses thirty-five to fifty-one. Uh, you can find that on page one thousand six hundred and thirteen of the Bibles on your seats, or you can follow along on the screen beside me here. So, one, uh, John chapter one, verse thirty-five. The next day, there was again two. Uh, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "'Look, the Lamb of God.' When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "'What do you want?' They said, "'Rabbi,' which means teacher, "'where are you staying?' "'Come,' he replied, "'and you will see.' So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon." Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee you will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
1: Uh, Thanks very much, Lockie, and hello again. Uh, All of us have different needs, different things we want, uh, different things we're looking forward to or dreaming about. Uh, If you were to go home and list the top three things that come to mind, uh, what is it you want? Got you a genie in the bottle, uh, what are the three questions you ask? Uh, for some, it'll be financial security. Uh, for others, the top thing might be a happy home life, uh, maybe to meet that someone special. Good health. Um, a community uh, where you really belong to. Um, there are many good things that come to mind. Uh, perhaps you might be able to uh, find things at a deeper level that you know you want. Some just want to be loved, uh, to be affirmed for who they are. Uh, others just desire to be respected. Uh, there will those who just really want to know answers. Life is very complicated, uh, and we just want clarity. We want to know. Uh, some just want to know how to live with purpose uh, rather than just floating around a bit by bit. Uh, for some, it may just be uh, the desire for rest, uh, for proper peace. What do you want? Uh, in the passage we just read, Jesus asks two disciples that question as they set out to follow him What do you want? It's a fair question. What do you want from Jesus? Now, as I ask that, you're probably a bit suspicious there's probably a right answer you have to give. Um, You know, something like, I want him to forgive my sins and give me eternal life. Um, That is a very good answer, absolutely. Uh, But you might also be reluctant, rightly, to think of Jesus as a genie in the bottle, because he's not. And he doesn't promise whatever we wish for. However, is it possible that if we think Jesus only offers one or two things to his disciples, that we're risking wanting far too little from Jesus? Jesus does offer His disciples so much more than just a ticket to heaven. Uh, he can and He does meet our deepest needs. As we look at this passage, we see different disciples who want different things from Jesus. Uh, he doesn't set them straight or correct them on the spot, say, "Oh, no, I'm just here to save you from your sins, That's, uh, the rest is on you. Instead, He gathers them. He sets about transforming every part of their lives, including, I guess, uh, the things that they want. Each disciple in this passage wants Jesus to fit a different role. Um, If you scan through that passage, and it'd be great to have the Bible open in front of you as we look at it for a little while now, Uh, if you scan through, you'll see, I counted, seven different titles are given to Jesus in that one passage. Seven titles, Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, the one Moses wrote about, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. Uh, It's only the last title, the Son of Man, that Jesus gives to Himself. I this tells us that Jesus is not one-dimensional, uh, He's not just a saviour, uh, He's not just a teacher. Uh, we can come to Him, uh, we can, we should come to Him with the many things that we might want from Him. He might not give us everything we want and He might not be when we want it, but it strikes me it's better by far, better by far coming to Jesus for the things we want than hoping we might find it apart from Him. Where the passage started today, in verse 35, we have John the Baptist and we heard about him a fair bit last week. Uh, He's the superstar of his day. Uh, He's preparing the way of Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus and now that way is prepared and Jesus is here. So verse 35 and 36, John is hanging out with his two disciples and he sees Jesus and says, that's him, Uh, that's the guy I was telling you about, he's the Lamb of God. Uh, Last week, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see back in verse 29... Uh, In verse 29, that's how John the Baptist first identified Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, For John the Baptist, and also, uh, I think, for John the author, this is the primary thing, and it's the main thing that Jesus has come to do. Like a lamb, He is a perfect sacrifice who pays the penalty for our sin. That might not be the first thing that people would ask a genie in the bottle for, uh, but often, I think, that it's because we don't know what we need. The more we follow Jesus, uh, the more we realise how big a need it is that we have to have our sin taken away. And we have to grow, actually, as we follow Jesus, knowing more and more how good it is that we are in the right standing, good standing with our Creator. So, while forgiveness of sin might not be the only thing we might want from Jesus, it is the most important thing He offers, for sure. It's certainly the thing that He is most set on doing for us. So, when John the Baptist tells his two disciples that this is the guy... They start following Jesus. I assume, literally here, they just start walking behind Him, as if to say, well, let's see where this ends up. Verse 38, Jesus turns and He sees these two guys walking behind Him. I imagine that's a bit socially awkward, I don't know, it's a bit of a strange scene, isn't it? What are you guys doing? Uh, But then we have the very first recorded words of Jesus uh, from His lips in this Gospel. We've been introduced to Him as the eternal Word of God, the One who reveals the deepest of truths, and what are the first words He speaks? What do you want? I don't think it's a or what are you looking at?" Uh, kind of uh, way of talking to those guys following him. I think he's asking those who set out with him, like, "What is it you're after here?" I don't think it's a test they have to pass. He might be f- forcing them to reflect on their motivations. What is it actually you want from me? I think it's gentle. Uh, and it's drawing out from those disciples, those who approach him, like, "What are you looking for? What do you want?" Then you look at how these disciples answer, it It doesn't really strike me as a great answer straight off, I can in fact sort of, you know, imagine these disciples later in life, uh, remembering that first time they met Jesus, uh, wishing their opening line had been way cooler. Um, Jesus says, what do you want? Rabbi, where are you staying? Like imagine meeting a hero uh, who says to you, hey, it's really nice to meet you, and you say, good thanks, how are you? Oh no, stuff up your opening line. Maybe that's what's going on, but maybe their answer isn't quite as bad as that. Uh, Perhaps the word they choose here, rabbi, tells us in part what they're looking for. A rabbi, a teacher. They want to learn from him. They want to be instructed by him uh, as their teacher, as their mentor, I suppose we would use that kind of language. It was common enough in that period, uh, in that culture, for a wise man or a spiritual leader to to gather disciples, followers, uh, to instruct them how to live and how to have clarity on life, uh, set priorities, make good decisions, it was a, a common enough thing. And that's a very good thing to want, isn't it? Clarity on life, uh, knowing what matters most. There'll be a good number of us here uh, where this is something you especially love about Jesus and are thankful for, uh, where uh, perhaps if you're a deeper thinker and someone think of yourself as a truth seeker, like you recognise in Jesus real wisdom. He has real answers that, that go deep. He makes sense of life, and the more you dig into it, the more sense it makes. It's actually okay to come to Jesus, it's good to come to Jesus, wanting Him to be our rabbi, our teacher, to help us make sense of life. The other part of the disciples' answer, though, asking where He's staying, it may be their way of saying, well, we don't really know what we want yet, but we think we need to hang out with you to get to know you better. Can we just stay with you, please, and hang out? And so, verse 39 Jesus invites them to do just that. What an afternoon that would be. I'm sure it's etched on the disciples' memories forever. An afternoon with Jesus, perhaps chatting uh, over dinner. What a thing. Uh, One of them, Andrew, um, didn't take much. It convinced him, changed him forever. This is the answer. This is what we've been looking for. And so he springs into action, verse 41, the very first thing Andrew does is to go and find his brother Simon. He says to him, we found the Messiah, the Messiah. Uh, I reckon that's a word worth just pausing and spending a moment or two on. Uh, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word, uh, and John the author here knows we probably don't know Hebrew, uh, so he tells us what that word means, uh, that that word means Christ in Greek. Um, that doesn't really clear things up for us English speakers, I know, so uh, at very least it tells us, though, uh, that Christ is not Jesus' surname, uh, it's not his last name, Christ is a title. It's a role. Uh, It's a description of who he is. The closest we have in English, I think, to the word Messiah or Christ, the closest we have is probably anointed. Uh, Anointed. Uh, It's also a word that has a lot of meaning loaded into it uh, because of the way it gets used all through the Old Testament. Uh, The main way it gets used in the Old Testament is identifying God's king. At First, the historic kings of Israel, kings like David, uh, they were anointed, literally with oil, by a prophet uh, to mark him as God's chosen one. But then later, especially in the times that Israel had a terrible king or no king, uh, the prophets started speaking God's uh, God's words, giving God's plan uh, that the world is waiting for His anointed king to come, this great Messiah would come, and He would rule with justice and mercy and change the world. And so the Messiah, the anointed, the Christ, is God's anointed king, but that's not all. The other people who were anointed were priests, they were Messiahed, I guess, they were anointed setting them apart for the crucial role of representing the people before God and offering sacrifices on their behalf. So kings and priests were anointed, but that's not all. Prophets were sometimes also anointed, or Christed, if you like. They were marked out as the ones who speak the very words of God. So the Messiah that the prophets pointed to in the Old Testament, I think, captures all of those ideas. King, prophet, priest... Now, in Jesus' day, Israelites were longing for God to send the promised Messiah. Um, They were probably thinking that he's going to be a king like David, most likely, uh, in his Messiahship. Uh, We see that in the Gospels. That's that's very much the Messiah people wanted, a strong king to overthrow the Romans. Now, Andrew maybe had all those ideas in his mind, maybe some of those ideas we don't know. Um, But whatever Andrew was expecting, it turns out Jesus is far more... It's not that just that Jesus is a king. He's the king of kings. His kingdom is so great, it's not even of this world. Jesus is not just a priest who offers sacrifices, he is the priest uh, who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is not just a prophet who can speak the words of God, he is the very word of God. He makes God known. Whatever we want, uh, whatever we hope for from Jesus, it's likely that our expectations are far too low. He's not the Messiah we want Him to be, He's far bigger than that. He's the Messiah that the whole world needs. If we want security, uh, perhaps uh, financial security, or something like that, well, know that our King Jesus offers eternal riches, but more than that, He offers security for our soul. No matter what's happening to our bank accounts or our life, we have ultimate security with our King. If we want justice in our life, uh, especially for those who feel uh, you've been done like great injustices, our King Jesus, He rules with justice that that one day will will truly satisfy. It will be complete. If we want to know for sure what God is like, um, perhaps the greatest mystery of all time, right, what is God really like? Jesus, the anointed prophet, the Word of God, tells us exactly what we need to know. So, Jesus, as the Christ, has so much to offer us as his disciples. Whatever Andrew understood, he knew enough in that one evening with Jesus that God had sent his anointed to change everything. And so, verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Verse 42, what a beautiful sentence. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Um, As our lives get changed by finding uh, everything that Jesus offers, uh, this is the most natural thing in the world to do, isn't it? To bring others to meet Him. Now, how good it would be if we could physically bring people to have dinner with Jesus one night and ask Him questions? We don't have that exact option, do we? Um, But there is plenty we can do that I would say is just as good, actually. It's just as good. I'll, I'll come back to that later. But first, I want to have a look at the experience of Simon. Uh, what was life like for him as he met Jesus this very first time? It's actually a pretty intense meeting when you think about it. Uh, verse 42, Jesus looked at him and knew, him, he knew his name. Uh, maybe Andrew had told him, but still, Jesus knows his name and says, I'm going to give you a new name. Um, now, here, uh, the author John plays the same translation game, game with us. He knows we don't speak Aramaic, uh, so he tells us Cephas, when translated to Greek means Peter, which doesn't help us that much again, which translated to English, means rock. Now, it does sound a little bit like Jesus is dishing out cool nicknames at this point, uh, but it is more than that, isn't it? Jesus puts this in the future. You will be the rock, is kind of the idea there. Jesus knows that this guy he's just met will one day get the reputation of being rock steady, solid, unshakable. And in fact, the rock that the church will end up being built on. Uh, The crazy thing is, not only did that happen, uh, Peter, the leader of the Twelve Disciples, ends up being sort of the founding leader of the Church after Jesus. But what's even crazier than that is, everything we learn about Peter in the Gospels is that from here on in, he's actually pretty flaky. He's not at all a rock. He's he's erratic, he's cowardly, he's insecure. Uh, There are things that make him a terrible leader uh, as we meet him. Jesus sees Simon as he is, flaky, and yet, Jesus knows what He will make Him into, the rock. Jesus is going to change Him for what He is into something far, far better. And isn't, isn't that beautiful? Uh, because that's true for each one of us as well. If you have uh, your Bible, open, flick back to chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12, we're told that those who receive Jesus, those who believe and trust Him, no matter what we like when we meet Him, He makes us something far better. John 1, verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, a child of God. Uh, That's what we are given, access, that's our identity, if we are followers of Jesus. Now, I know I often, I regularly don't act or think like I'm part of God's royal and divine family, uh, with all the privileges that come with that. But in God's grace, I think and I act uh, more like that than I used to. Uh, Just as Jesus saw in flaky Simon, uh, someone he would make into the rock, Jesus takes flaky old me, flaky old you, and he turns us into royalty. If you want an unshakable identity, if you want to belong, uh, if you want to be treated with dignity and with respect, Jesus gives us these things more than we can ever know of course, we can go chasing those things elsewhere and we might find them in some measure apart from Jesus, but only for a while. But I think the encouragement from this passage is that we should seek these things first from Jesus. He's offering so much to us as His disciples. He knows not just what we want, but what we really need. And so we can talk to Him and ask Him and He's very, very kind. We get to verse 43 and the scene shifts to a brand new day the next day and two more disciples get to meet Jesus for the first time. I reckon Philip's a bit of a funny one, like, as the story reads, he's just sitting around minding his own business, when a guy rocks up and says, follow me! Uh, Can you imagine that? Uh, Jesus goes and finds him. I reckon that's a great picture for us. Uh, We're told that Andrew and Peter are from his hometown, uh, so perhaps they knew each other, they knew Philip, and they sort of got there together. But more than that, as the story unfolds, we find out in verse 45, Philip knows the Old Testament really, really well. Uh, He's read the way that Moses and the prophets were all pointing forward, uh, that all of God's promises were going to be fulfilled. Philip trusted God, he expected God to do something, and so, actually, Philip was ready to meet Jesus. All he needed was that meeting. Just like Andrew had done, it doesn't take uh, long at all for Philip to see that Jesus is the answer to everything he's waiting for, and immediately, he goes and finds Nathaniel. Now, Nathanael's actually the one we hear most about. If you just look at the passage, you see the, the story about Nathaniel is the longest in this section... And I reckon that's helpful because if you've uh, got someone in your life you've tried to talk to about Jesus and encourage them to explore him further, I reckon Nathaniel's response and how it ends up is, I reckon, really encouraging for us. Uh, Philip says to him, we found the guy who's going to change the world, Jesus from Nazareth. And you can almost hear Nathaniel in verse 46 sort of sparing his coffee in shock and disgust. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? You might know that tone. Christianity, oh please, as if that's got anything for me. Now, to be fair to Nathaniel, uh, Nazareth wasn't exactly um, a wonder of the ancient world. No one famous had ever come from Nazareth. It was a bit of a backwater. And also, to be f- fair to our friends and family, um, what they know about Jesus has op- probably either come through uh, a school experience where religion was taught, uh, not the good news about Jesus, or they've just picked up what they know about Christianity from the news or social media, uh, which doesn't look great on the surface. Philip here, he cuts all through that. And I reckon Philip must be a genius. He doesn't argue. He doesn't defend Nazareth or or really try and defend Jesus. Philip just says, come and see. Come and check him out for yourself. Make up your own minds. So whatever misconceptions someone may have about Jesus, whatever expectations or questions they might have, it's meeting Jesus that changes everything. It's meeting him that changes everything. Just like Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, Philip brings Nathanael and it's a memorable first meeting in verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Uh, It's not simply a compliment, Uh, you must be a good bloke. It's far more than that, isn't it? Uh, Jesus knows him, he knows his heart, this guy he's never met before. He knows that Nathanael cares about the truth. Um, Saying that there is no deceit in him recognises he's not sneaky, he's not playing games. Uh, We might just say, actually, he's a man of integrity, that's the kind of language we might use. Like, yeah, he might be rude about Nazareth, uh, but he's a man of integrity, he cares about truth. What a moment. Uh, What a moment to stand before Jesus, to have him look at you in the eye and call uh, call you out for who you are. Say it as it is, seeing straight through you. Verse 48 how do you know me, Nathaniel asks. That's a very fair question, isn't it? And he gets a strange answer. Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's anyone's guess here uh, what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree and actually seems to be beside the point here. We could guess, but there's not much point. Uh, the point is, Jesus does have some supernatural insight into Nathaniel's life. Jesus knows him and he sees him. And that is enough for Nathaniel. Verse 49, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. This truth seeker, the one in whom there is no deceit, he's found the truth. And he goes on to find three titles for Jesus. At verse 50, Jesus responds, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this bit about the angels ascending and descending, uh, that's uh, the first time in John, actually, that Jesus is telling us anything about Himself. Now, in the background there, it's a very famous story of Jacob. Uh, if you want to look this up, I think it's Genesis 28, I don't have that in front of me, but I think if you looked up Genesis 28, I'm pretty sure you'll find this story. Uh, he, Jacob was on the run because he'd been a bit sneaky, a bit deceitful. Uh, and Jacob has a dream where he sees the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending. It's in this dream that God made a covenant with Jacob, who would later go on to be called Israel, uh, the father of the nation. It's a very famous story uh, in, in the Jewish world, uh, and in the Christian world as well, but it's a famous story for one, because it shows God taking the initiative of heaven breaking into earth. We don't have to guess what God's up to, He comes to us. Even more so, He does it with someone like Jacob, Israel, who's actually been pretty dodgy up to this point. More than that, it's where God made a promise, a covenant. A covenant with Jacob's children, with Israel's children, uh, the nation. It was a covenant where God promises to bless one family in this world it would become a nation. So as Jesus applies that story and puts himself at the centre of it, he's saying to his disciples here, you will see God taking initiative, heaven bursting into earth, and a new covenant centred on me, on Jesus, that will be blessing not just to one nation, but to the whole world. The first thing Jesus is telling us about himself here is that he is a new Israel. There'll be a new covenant, and that these disciples will get to witness that themselves. Now, sure enough, I'm going to give a few spoiler alerts here, but um, they go on to witness their rabbi. These disciples witness Jesus, the King of Israel, shed his own blood for their sins and for the sin of the world, giving us each a, a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. Alright, having walked through the passage, I want to just, uh, just tie together a few of the encouraging things we've seen already and, and uh, just hopefully give us a few ways that we can take steps to follow on with from here. We've seen different disciples uh, meeting Jesus in different ways and realising something different about them. They're all quite unique uh, in their meeting with Him. Uh, what that tells us is, there is there's no one type of person that can be a follower of Jesus Some followed him straight away, simply because they believed John the Baptist. They heard a good report, they went, they followed him, no worries. Others needed Jesus to come to them, reveal himself to them in in quite a supernatural way. Some needed time, uh, just to have their questions answered, to think carefully, to explore uh, more deeply who this guy is. Now, all of us, of course, have a different story of how we came to Jesus. uh, And some, like uh, Joey Paul here today, uh, has grown up in a family where he's known Jesus his whole life. Uh, He's had the grace of God modeled to him, and praise God for that. Others here I know of, uh, maybe you were once more cynical like Nathaniel was, but a brave friend said to you, come and see. Uh, Come and find out what Jesus is like for yourself. And you did. Others, perhaps like Philip, uh, have found Jesus kind of a a bolt out of the blue. You weren't looking for him, you weren't thinking about him, he came to you somehow, uh, revealed himself in a way that has changed your life. Whatever our story might be, praise God. Praise God that He gathers very different disciples from different places, different backgrounds, and He gives us each the right to be His children. It's a great thing. This also means that um, anyone may one day be a follower of Jesus. Anyone might be a follower of Jesus one day. We shouldn't limit in our minds or our hearts who might actually meet Jesus and join us in following Him. Now, if you're uh, someone here who's not a follower of Jesus at the moment, um, no matter if you're open to learning about Him or actually quite cynical uh, that He has anything to offer, well, I just want to suggest our life course would be a great next step for you. You've you've heard Matt mention that. Uh, It'd be a great thing to sign up to and come along. Perhaps like Nathaniel, uh, you may just find that He's the one you've been looking for all along. Uh, The other thing, though, we've seen happen in this story, Jesus went from having no disciples to two disciples to three to four uh, he shows us, actually, the pattern of kingdom growth. It's for each disciple to be involved in bringing someone to Jesus. Uh, that's the way the kingdom of God has always grown. Saying to people, come and see. Come and check him out for yourself. Now, again, I said earlier, these disciples, they could do that literally. They could bring, Jesus, uh, so they could bring their friends to meet Jesus in a room and have a meal, and we would love to do that. It would be great. But actually, John, the author here, in the course of his gospel, points out we're not any worse off if we want to introduce others to Jesus. For one thing, uh, Jesus tells His disciples here that they will see greater things. And they did. They went on to witness the greatest thing, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the turning point of all history. We have something they didn't. We have the whole story. We have the Jesus story at our fingertips. The other thing, though, this whole passage uh, is all about seeing Jesus, meeting Him in the flesh. But actually, Jesus trains His disciples... Uh, and we see later in John, he trains us, actually, to help others believe without seeing. Uh, if you have your sermon outline uh, in your leaflet there, you'll see at the bottom I've printed John 20, 29. Uh, in the leaflet there, John 20:29. 20, this is taking place after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Thomas, who refused to believe until he saw with his own eyes, he refused to believe, but then he did. He saw Jesus and he believed. Jesus says to him, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus anticipates that uh, the rest of us won't get to see him. He's, he's now seated in the heavenly realms. We don't get to see him and that's fine. The billions of people who have heard about Jesus, just like us, we've met him in just the same way those in the Bible did. It may be that this whole passage we've looked at uh, might lead us to have a conversation with a family member or a friend Think about it, like, one way you could approach it might be, what is it you want most in life? No matter what their answer is, you could simply ask them well, have you thought about how Jesus might be the answer to that? Whatever they say, whatever they're looking for, actually, Jesus somehow will be the answer. And then you could share, perhaps, about your own story, how Jesus uh, has been so generous in giving you so much. For us, the way the invitation, come and see, works... I think it's simple in many ways. It might be just inviting them along to church. It might be to the life course we've mentioned. Or it may be asking them Have you read any of the Bible as an adult before? Have you read the the Bible as an adult before? Come and see. In the Bible, Jesus. See who he is and see if he could really change everything in your life. You could give them a copy of the gospel um, or perhaps a whole Bible. You could suggest, Why don't you start at John or Luke? Or, as Matt mentioned before, there's that training coming up on the word one-to-one. It's a wonderful resource to walk people through John's Gospel. There's some helpful notes. Uh, I've used it myself. It's fantastic. It's a great way to help people meet Jesus and see what He's like. Because at the end of the day, when someone is engaging with Jesus and meeting Him, whatever we know as His disciples, whatever tough questions we worry about being asked, what we see in this passage is that Jesus Himself is enough. It's not about us what we can do, and what we can share. Jesus is the one that convinced others of who he is. So, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we are so thankful uh, for who you are, and for the many blessings you pour out on us. Thank you for calling us to be your disciples, and uh, like with Peter, continuing to shape us and change us into uh, the identity you've given us as children of God. We ask you to help each one of us to to follow the pattern of these disciples, encourage others to come and see what you are like. Uh, Please be kind to those we're speaking to. Please show yourself to them to be a mighty saviour, a wonderful king, a worthy rabbi. And so please bring many disciples into your kingdom and use us and our humble efforts, we pray. Amen.